Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love for us in Christ. And I pray, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would anoint my lips to serve your people, to love them right now in a very practical way, in word, in deed, in truth. Lord, I pray that you would bring a stillness. I pray that you would bring an, a, a perception of your love, um, uh, an enjoyment of your love that would motivate all of our hearts to love one another. For Father, you know that that is, that is difficult for us. We're great at loving ourselves, Father. We, I confess to you my self-love at times. Oh, Lord, and, and, and I'm, I'm so sorry, and I, I repent of that. But, oh, God, I thank you that you've put in my heart the love of Christ who laid his life down for me. And you've begun to show me something of, of laying my life down for others. And, oh, Lord, it's a joy. But at times it is difficult. So, Lord, I pray we would enjoy your love and the joy of laying our lives down for others. It was for the joy set before him that Jesus endured the shame of the cross. May we see a joy bigger than this temporary pleasure of this world. May it it motivate us. May it fill us. May the joy of the Lord be our strength as we love one another. May this word be a source of joy. Be like rain falling falling on our hearts, refreshing our dry and weary souls and producing the fruit of love for one another in deed and truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please turn to the first of those texts? I'm speaking now of Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 to 40. In Matthew 22, verses 36 to 40, really is the foundation of of our series that we're beginning, one another, selfless living in a selfish world. One another, selfish living in a selfish world. And the foundation of this series really is love one another. Love one another as Christ has loved us. That's the foundation because when we read this text, In Matthew 22, verses 36 to 40, we see that, the motive, the foundation of love is is God's love for us and our love for him. That's what Matthew 22, 36 to 40 really teaches us. It's interesting If you look at verse 40 in Matthew 22, Jesus says there that these two commandments, love God, love your neighbor, are the foundation of the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets depend on them. Do you know what the law is? The law there are the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You know what the prophets are? The rest of the books of the Old Testament. And so Jesus, the New Testament hadn't been written yet, so Jesus comes and says, you want to know what everything that God has revealed to you depends on? Here it is. I'll boil it down for you. It's not 700 and some laws. It's two. Really one. 
Because the second one's like the first one. And here are the two laws. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's why the foundation of our one another series, Selfless Living in a Selfish World, is love one another. Is love one another. Uh, The rest of the sermons, we have nine more sermons in the series. Really, these sermons are simply going to be an exposition of what it means to love one another. It says here, love your neighbor as yourself. And, And when I think about what it means to love your neighbor as yourself, I think of I think of an old German missionary named Werner Knorr. And I think of the summer of 1983. And I think of Marseille, France. You see, Werner was there awaiting a freighter that would take him to Cameroon, West Africa, with supplies for his mission school in Bamenda. And I was there seeking Werner's counsel. God had been leading me in a direction for my life that was totally different from what I had planned. My plan was officer in the Army, law school at the University of Florida, president of the United States. I'm not joking. Ask my mother. Yeah, when I talked about selfish ambition a few weeks ago, yeah, you have no idea. At a minimum, politics. At a minimum, making a lot of money being prominent. God saved me. Okay, then I'll just be a wealthy Christian attorney. (laughs) I'll give, man. And God began tapping my shoulder that summer of 1983 and say, son, you can serve me as a wealthy Christian attorney. We need wealthy Christian attorneys and Christian politicians. Absolutely pray for them. But for you, Alpino, I've got something else. And I did not want the something else. I preached that entire summer all through Germany. And every boy I preached, people say, you've got a gift on your life to preach. I say, yeah, I've got a gift on my life to go to law school, be an attorney, serve God that way. And God was hammering me. God was talking to me. And I was resisting God. And so I found myself in Marseille, France, in the summer of 1983, talking to an old, beat-up German missionary named Werner Knorr. And he gave me biblical counsel and wisdom that I desperately needed. And in doing so, he loved me, his neighbor as himself. Listen, I'm no Timothy and Werner is no Paul, but I had this sense of Paul and Timothy. I I, I don't know why. Maybe it's because we were on literally the Mediterranean. We were taking a boat ride one day to the island of Friol, which is right off Marseille. Beautiful island. We were in this boat. We're on the med. It was sunny. The wind was blowing. We're talking. And I, you know, just looking around going, wow, Paul was here. And, and, and Werner is pouring himself into me. And he's, he's sharing with me, answering my questions. What's important? What is life all about? And in doing so, this old missionary walked out the theme of our series. He lived a selfless life in a selfish world. And that's God's claim on each of us this morning, friends. God commands us to love one another and so live selfless lives in a selfish world. But where do we find the motivation for that? Where do we find the power for that? What do we find the commitment to love one another in this way? Well, friends, we find them all in God's love for us in Christ. 
And for that reason, the main point of this message this morning, the summary statement of this message this morning, if you took this message and summarized it in one sentence, it would be this. Love one another as Christ loved us. Love one another as Christ loved us. And and what we're going to look at this morning, there'll be three points. We're going to look at the, the motive to love one another, the power to love one another, and the commitment to love one another. So let's start with the motive. Point one. Let's go back to Matthew 22, 36 to 40. What is the motive to love one another? According to Matthew 22, 36 to 40, the motive to love one another is our love for God. You see, God's will for us, clearly taught in this passage in verse 37, is that Jesus said, they ask him, what's the great commandment? He says, here it is. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. So, so then we remember what Jesus said in the Gospel of John. He says, if you love God, you will obey him. That's why in verse 39 of Matthew 22, that's why Jesus says this. The second commandment is like the first. And what's the second commandment? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The motive to love you as myself is my love for God. I can't say I love God without loving you. If you love God, you obey God. And so for that reason, today and for the rest of this series, we are going to focus on loving one another. The backdrop hanging over that is our love for God. That's the great motive. We must pray. We must pray God's will. God's grace to love one another. But the motive is our love for God. Jose taught us so well a couple of weeks ago to to, to pray the Lord's Prayer. And the essence of the Lord's Prayer, it's God-centered prayer. Even though we're asking for things for ourselves, what's the essence of the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, Your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth, in our lives, as it is in heaven. The in our lives isn't in there. But it's on earth as it is in heaven. So I'm praying, God, your will be done. And and Jesus says, you want to know God's will? You you love, love God. You want to know what his will is? Love your neighbor as yourself. And in doing that, you fulfill the whole law. And the whole law and the prophets depend on it. And the whole deal is that. You see, few people know Werner Knorr. Few people on this earth know Werner Knorr. Right now, he is laboring in obscurity in Bamenda, Cameroon, West Africa. But mark my words, Werner Knorr is well known in heaven because of his love for God demonstrated and his love for his neighbor, namely me and many others. Are you well known in heaven? Are we well known in heaven? On earth, celebrity is one thing. In heaven, being well known is a totally different thing. It's not the one that shines the brightest and it's at the top of the ladder. It's the one in obscurity at the bottom. That gets headlines in heaven. What are the headlines you're getting? Brings us back to the power issue, doesn't it? So where in the world do we find power for that? How do we obey God? How do we love God by loving one another? Where do we find the power to live selfless lives in a selfish world? world. We find that power, friends, to obey God's command to love one another in the very love of God in Christ. See, at the core 
of the command to love one another is Christ's love demonstrated for us. That's why the main point, the, the propositional statement of this, of this sermon is love one another as Christ loved us. So we must therefore begin our search for the power to love one another with God himself. With his definition of love, we find both God's power to love one another and God's definition of love in 1 John 4, 7-12, the passage that Tyler read. So let's turn there now. Matthew twenty two thirty six to 40 provides us the motivation for love, love for God. 1 John 4, 7 to 12 now talks to us about the power to love. How in the world can I love others? Well, let's look. Turn the back of your Bibles to 1 John. I would appeal to you to have your Bible open and aggressively be thumbing through that bad boy and read this text. As aggressively as you would know where your favorite shows are on 500 station direct TV uh, uh, you know, systems, you, you need to know where this where stuff is in here. This is truth. And if you don't have a Bible, get up and get one. It's in the back. And if you're afraid to get up and get one, grab someone that's next to you and say, show me your word, man. And if they don't have one, rebuke them. <laughs> You'll be a hypocrite, but it'll be fun. I do it all the time. Settle down, okay? Where are we? All right, 1 John 4, 7. Why are we at 1 John 4, 7? Because we're trying to get the power to love one another. To get the power to love one another, we've got to understand what is love. How does God define it? We must begin with God. So let's read it. I'll read it out loud, you silently. 1 John 4, 7 to 12. Beloved, beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So if God is love, let's go to God for the definition of love. Verse 9. In this, the love of God. Pay attention, here's the definition. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that he, we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. There it is. Verse 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. So what does this teach us? Well, it teaches that God is love. So his definition of love is where we need to focus. And where do we find his definition of love? We find his definition of love really highlighted in verses 9 and 10. Look at those again, please. Verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him, in this is love, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us, and has sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We've got to start with God, not man. And, And starting with God... We've got to understand that God's love is summarized 
really in, in one word, Christ. That's what verses 9 and 10 teach us. That God's love is summarized in Christ. The way God defines love here, friends, is in the sending of Christ to die for our sins. This huge word propitiation. What does that mean? God, if you're defining love by sending your son and that your son died as a propitiation for our sins, I want to know what love means. But can we start, Lord, with the definition of propitiation, please? Let's start it. And you must start it. And you must grab a dictionary and a good theology book and read about it. Because your life depends on it. Because if you're going to love God, if you're going to love God, you're going to love others. And if you're going to love others, you've got to understand propitiation. Because God defines love by Jesus dying as a propitiation for your sins. So if you don't understand propitiation, how can you love? So let's try to understand it. I'm going to ask a good friend of mine to come in and help us. D.A. Carson. Would you like to meet D.A. Carson? You didn't know he was here, right? Well, he's not. But his words are. So come on, D.A., join us. D.A.? In Christ. The way God defines love here, friends, is in the sending of Christ to die for our sins. This huge word propitiation. What does that mean? God, if you're defining love by sending your son and that your son died as a propitiation for our sins, I want to know what love means. But can we start, Lord, with the definition of propitiation, please? Let's start it. And you must start it. And you must grab a dictionary and a good theology book and read about it. Because your life depends on it. Because if you're going to love God, if you're going to love God, you're going to love others. And if you're going to love others, you've got to understand propitiation. Because God defines love by Jesus dying as a propitiation for your sins. So if you don't understand propitiation, how can you love? So let's try to understand it. I'm going to ask a good friend of mine to come in and help us. D.A. Carson. Would you like to meet D.A. Carson? You didn't know he was here, right? Well, he's not, but his words are. So come on, D.A., join us. D.A., next slide. There's D.A. All right, D.A. Carson helps us with propitiation. I'm going to go slowly over this. Uh, If you want to write it down now, great. If a word jumps out for you, great. It's going to be on the web after I preach this message. It's in the notes that will be published on the web. So if you just want to listen to it, that's fine. Here's D.A. commenting on this passage. The real meaning of love and the real source of life are discerned only in the cross. It is not that we loved God. We will never find what this love is if we start from the human end. Never. Never. We find it in that God loved us. And sent his son as a propitiation for our sins. And now D.A. helps us understand it. Parentheses. The one who would turn aside his wrath. Close parentheses. We'll get more into that after we read the quote. Yeah, I, what, what I just want to say is this. you got to understand. It's not that we loved God. It's not that we loved God. It's that God loved us. You get that? It's not that we loved God. You do not define love by me loving God. That's important to keep us away from legalism and works and frustration and hypocrisy. It's that he loved us. It must begin there. I don't love God to get his approval. He gives me his approval sovereignly. And it elicits from me a love for God. 
Very important point. Next slide. To see what love means, we must see ourselves as sinners. Must. Must. Because remember the propitiation deal? Okay. Gotta. And thus, as the objects of God's wrath. And yet, and yet, not as those, excuse me, and yet as those for whom Christ died. It is one of the Bible's resounding paradoxes. A paradox is something that seems to contradict, okay? It's like, how can you say both things? It's a paradox. How can you say both things at the same time? It doesn't make sense, kind of, maybe. Wow, that didn't used to be there. Resounding paradoxes, that it is God's love that averts God's wrath. Do you see the paradox? God, do you love me? But why are you mad? Parentheses here. D.A. Carson, write this one down, wrote a great little book, little book, The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God. Write that one down. Google it, get it, buy it, read it. The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God. This is where we often get it wrong in the church. It's either love or he's wrath. God of the Old Testament is wrath. He's killing everybody. God of the New Testament is love. He's saving everybody. God of the Old Testament, love, which includes wrath, judgment. God of the New Testament, love, which includes wrath, judgment. The cross reconciles. Okay? All right, back to the quote. It is one of the Bible's resounding paradoxes that it is God's love that averts God's wrath from us. And indeed, it is precisely in this averting of wrath that we see what real love is. Now keep that slide up there. It's precisely in the averting of wrath that we see what real love is. The Bible says you've got to start defining love by the averting of the wrath of God we richly deserve in Christ. And that's what propitiation means. God's wrath is real. It's personal. The Bible clearly teaches that God is personally and actively opposed to sin. God's wrath is, and I'm quoting now, from Jeff Perswell, who's the director of our Bible school. God's wrath is, quote, his holy response to sin. It is his personal, active antagonism to sin that derives from his settled opposition to every evil thing. It is therefore right and necessary for God to hate sin and all who practice it. I thought you said God is love. I did. How can he be a just God who pours his wrath out on sinners who deserve it? He is. He's both. Let me give you an illustration. Maybe to help you understand this idea of propitiation. Because remember, averting God's wrath is at the core of this definition of love. Real love is defined by the averting of God's wrath and the propitiation of Jesus. Propitiation being one who would turn aside the wrath that we so richly deserve. Here's the illustration. You got this this Southern California girl. She's got a brand new car. It can go really fast. Sadly for her, she's driving through a community that takes speeding very seriously. They also need a lot of money because, you know, tax revenues have gone down. So when they stop you for speeding in this community, they immediately put you in the cop car and take you to court 24-7. doesn't matter. And you immediately go before the judge. Sure enough, she is bombing through. Stop. Put her in the squad car. Take her. Stands before the judge. What's she going to do? we got all, you know, 18,000 witnesses, cops everywhere, speed guns, the whole nine yards. Looks at the judge. He says, well, she goes, I'm guilty. Judge takes his gavel, slams it down. Bam! 
the judgment on you, $350 fine, or two days in jail. Whoa, these guys take speeding seriously. She's just standing there. Justice has been served. The wrath of the court. Justice has been served. That judge is just. He had to render that judgment. Or there would be no law. There would be lawlessness. But then something funny happens. Judge stands up, takes off his robe, comes around, stands next to the girl, pulls out his wallet and says to the court, to the bailiff, he says, I'm paying her fine. Here's $350. Judgment paid. Why did he do that? Because you see... The judge was actually her father, for reals. So, so what do we learn from that? Yeah, her father. Yeah, righteous judge. Crime was committed. Penalty had to be paid. Penalty was judged upon her. Penalty was then paid by the judge so that mercy could be given because she's his daughter. What's propitiation? We will stand before the judge one day and the gavel will come down, so to speak, metaphorically speaking, and we are guilty. And there is a judgment to be paid and the judgment is hell. The judgment is, 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 is divine judgment, the lake of fire. I read an article recently by John Piper on this. It was so... It was, it was, Excellent article. We've lost this. We, this idea of judgment and the, the lake of fire and the misery and the tears. And, the, and, and, and it's, it's going to be awful. And we all deserve it. We have no excuse. But then Jesus comes. He satisfies justice so that God is just, but averts the wrath and the penalty from us so that the love of God then can be shed abroad upon us, but it's not free. You see, you see, it cost this judge $250 to get his daughter out of jail. Oh, friends, it cost God far more. To satisfy his own justice and his own wrath, it cost him far more against us and our sins. It cost him far more. It cost him his son. God's wrath is personal. But God's love is personal. Listen, if you're not a believer here, God's wrath is personally against you. He knows you. And it's not a good outcome for you. You are thumbing your nose at him and his wrath is just. You are speeding. You're going to get caught. And the judgment, the full judgment of the court is going to come crashing down on you. I appeal to you. Run to the one who would avert the wrath and the justice, who will take the penalty for you. Bow at his feet. Kiss his feet. Bow your life. And for those of us that know him, oh, friends, it is this love. It is this personal love, this propitiation of the wrath that we so richly deserve, this personal love that motivates us. See, here's the power to love one another. Because God loved us personally, we can love one another personally. That's the dot that's being connected in 1 John 4, 7 to 11. We've got to connect it in our lives. God has the power to treat. God gives us the power to treat one another as he treated us in Christ with an intense personal love. The gospel, Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension defines love. What he did on the cross is the epicenter of love. And the gospel then defines love and empowers love, empowers us to love one another. Christ's sacrifice met our greatest need so that we 
might love one another and meet one another's needs. You see, Werner Knorr in Marseille in 1983 didn't just give me biblical counsel that day. No, he gave me money to continue on in my journey to understand and submit to God's will for my life. You see, sadly, Werner Werner didn't fully convince me of the biblical truths of what's most important to God on that boat ride to that island off the coast of France. By the way, this is my, my prayer journal from 1983, and I've kept it because these days were very, very important in my life. I don't ever want to forget this and give it to my children someday. But let me just read to you. This is June 1983. Here's the question that I came to Werner with. What, to what should my life be dedicated? What, what is the most important thing in life? What is eternal? Question mark, question mark, question mark. And Werner shared with me what is eternal, and I resisted it. Because for me, I began to realize if the gospel is true, for me, not for everybody, for me, I knew what that meant. A calling to full-time preaching the gospel. And I was more committed to me than I was to God. God, give me your salvation. God, give me heaven. But mm, don't ask me to do that. My My dad is an immigrant in this country. My dad... I love my dad, and he's a great, he's a great man. Spoke very broken English, served this country in World War II, and, and he taught me, work hard, serve this country. Al, I th- he said to me, Al, you got this right. He said, Al, you have a gift of speaking, and you can serve this country as, as a politician, as, as a legislator, and who knows, maybe one day as president, but, but serve your country. And so my life was directed that way, and it was to law and politics, and, and there, was, there, was, there was a lot of pride in that in me. And suddenly, God was switching the pieces on the board and saying, missionary and pastor, and oh, friends, you want to hear the sad argument I gave Werner Knorr that day? I said, you know what, Werner? Being a missionary or pastor is for losers. It's for people who can't do anything else with their lives. For old people like you, Werner. And friends, at that moment, Werner loved me with the love of Christ. And he humbly appealed for me to travel down to Spain to observe a young couple who weren't losers and how they had given their lives to the Lord. And I reluctantly agreed, but I had no money. You know what Werner did? He pulled out from his pocket 250 Deutsche Marks. Now, I know Germany has the euro now, but back then that was about $400, a little less than $400. And he gave it to me. He didn't have a whole lot of extra money, friends. But what he had, he gladly gave to me. His love for me, his neighbor, as himself, meant that he was willing to sacrifice for me because he knew Christ had sacrificed for him. And in that act, Werner showed me what true love was all about. He was a living example of Christ's love and sacrifice for me. And in many ways, Werner's sacrificial love spoke as loudly to me is all of his words. See, God's demonstration of love in Christ means that for us to love one another, it takes sacrifice, friends, and it takes commitment, like Werner's sacrifice and commitment. And that's where we end this message, with the third point, with the commitment to love one another. And now we turn to 1 John 3. So just go back a chapter to 1 John 3, 11 to 18. The commitment to love one another. Let me read 1 John 3, 11 to 18. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. 
Verse 12 of 1 John 3. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil, and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Oh, that's a key phrase right there. We know we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. We know we're believers by our love for the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Wow. Hatred is equal to murder. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. That raises the stakes here a little bit, doesn't it? Verse 16. Transitional verse. By this we know love. How do we know love, John? That he laid down his life for us, he being Jesus. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But, now notice how practical it gets here. But... If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet does, that yet closes his heart against him, how does the, God's love abide in him? That nails us, doesn't it? Little children, let us not love in word or deed, in talk, excuse me. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. The message that we have heard from the beginning is where he begins this in verse 11. What's the message we've heard from the beginning, guys? Love God, love one another. That's all John's saying. He was with Christ from the beginning. Hey, remember? From the very beginning. Okay, this, this, this book was written, I'm, I don't remember exactly, but maybe 30 years after Christ. Maybe longer. Maybe 40. I can't remember exactly. So, remember the beginning 30 years ago, let's say, 40 years ago? What, was, what did Jesus say? Oh, yeah. All the law summarized. Love God. Love your neighbor. That's right. That's the message we heard from the beginning. We should love one another. And, and folks, that's the message you're going to hear for the next nine weeks. Love one another. We're just going to kind of parse it out. What does it look like? Serve, hospitality, accept, forgive. You know, we're just going to, all the little points of loving one another. See, in order to love one another, we must make concrete, serious commitment to love one another. That's what verse 18 says. He says, remember the message from the beginning? Love one another. Verse 18, hey, by the way, don't just love with a bunch of talk. Talk is cheap. Love in deed and truth. It must cost something. Now, John provides an important contrast between verse 11 and 18, which is love one another and love in deed and truth. He he provides this contrast, like a biblical illustration of what not to do and what to do. And here's the contrast. Cain and Christ. Cain and Christ. Life is in Christ, death in Cain. So Cain, death, murder, Christ, life, love. Here's the contrast we're going to drop into in verses 12 to 14. And and, and what we see is this. He says, don't be like Cain, in verse 12, who was of whom? The evil one. And what's he do? He murders his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. He was jealous of his brother. 1 John 3. Now look at verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. We love the brothers. There's the contrast. Love for the brothers indicates that we've passed from death to life, that we are believers. Friends, we shouldn't be like Cain, verse 12, who took his brother's life, but we should be like Jesus, verse 16. What does it say there? Who laid down his life for his brothers and sisters. 
Cain selfishly took his brother's life while Jesus selflessly laid down his life for his brothers and sisters. Listen, it gets even better than that. Cain failed to love his own flesh and blood brother. Jesus, and instead he murdered him, Jesus loves those who were his enemies in order to make them his brother and sister. So, friend, do you represent Cain or Christ to others? The choice is clear. You either love your brother or you hate and murder your brother. There's no in-between here. There's none. Verse 16 is the key. Here's the commitment. By this we know love, 1 John 3.16, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. You know what the definition of commitment is, right? If you're thinking of a breakfast, it's the pig. Think about it. The chicken gives you some eggs. The pig, he's committed. (laughs) That's where that bacon comes from. We love chicken love. Drop a couple of eggs, move on. Yeah, I know. Pig love, I, I got you now. It shouldn't have gone here, but we're here, so let's make the best of it. If it helps you remember, who cares? All right, seriously. Verse 16, if you get nothing else out of this message, listen. Verse 16, you know what it gives us? Gospel facts. Gospel facts that produce gospel acts in us. Listen, guys, the fact of the matter is that God defines love by Jesus dying on the cross. Jesus died on the cross for us. He laid down his life for us. That gospel fact must elicit something in us. You cannot look at that fact and say, great, I'm going to heaven. See you in heaven. No, no, that's not Christianity. That gospel fact must move in us a gospel act that we likewise lay down our lives for one another. That is what 1 John 3.16 teaches. Punto. That's it. You've got to connect that dot. What does it mean that Christ died on the cross for me? A warm fuzzy? A free ticket to heaven? Maybe. Certainly the free ticket to heaven. Maybe the warm fuzzy, maybe not. But oh, it certainly means that you then are called to lay down your life for one another. Remember the, remember the propositional statement? Love one another as Christ loved us. God is calling us to love our brothers and sisters like Christ loved us. We must commit to laying down our lives for our brothers and sisters, not taking their lives. Friends, I have found that in every relationship I've observed... You're going to have people who are predominantly takers and predominantly givers. There are some whose lives are characterized, now notice the word characterized, by taking from others. They live for themselves and use others and manipulate others for selfish gain, and in effect, they murder others. They take the life out of others. They suck the life out of people. It's all about them all the time. Their thing. They got to do their thing. They use people up and throw them away and move on. And they murder and kill the evil one. And they're like Cain. Don't be like Cain. 
And there are others whose lives are characterized by giving to others. They live to give what Christ has given them. They joyfully give their lives to serve and love others. And in effect, they give life, Christ's life to others with their words and their actions. Which one characterizes your life? Our life as a church. Look how John concludes this in 1 John 3.17. Very practically. 1 John 3.17. But, but, after verse 16, he laid down his life, we lay down our life. How do I lay down my life, Al? Here, let me give you a very practical example. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against them, how does God's love abide in him? Look how practical this is. It's not a bunch of feely stuff. Oh, I love you. Love is an intent. Love is a feeling. I just want to be with you all the time. I just want you to serve my idol of a relationship. That's not love. Love is objective. Listen, Werner Knorr is back in Cameroon, West Africa today, and he will most likely die there, and he's giving his life away for the gospel like he gave his life away for me back in the summer of 1983. You see, he had nothing to gain from loving me and sacrificing his money for me. I've not seen him again. He did it out of the love for God and God's glory. He laid down his life for me because Christ laid down his life for him. He expected nothing in return. And in the same way, we are called to lay down our lives for those who can never repay us. We are to love others with no personal gain in mind other than the glory of God. But to do this, guys, we've got to make a commitment beyond mere words and talk to deeds and truth. That's where verse 18 concludes. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Let me ask you a question. Can you say you love someone and not serve him or her in deed and truth? Can you say you love your family and not serve them? Can you say you love the church for whom Christ shed his blood and not serve it? Can you say you love the world and not serve them? No, you can't. Neither can I, at least not biblically, because that's not how God defines love. Christ defines it by giving himself for us so that we might give ourselves for others. Christ came to love us in, in deed and truth, not just in a bunch of words. He didn't come as a teacher. Some people say he's a teacher. No, no, he's our savior. He came to give his life, his blood, everything. In deed and truth. Let me just take a moment to say thank you, church, for doing that. Because I know you do it. We want to do it more. Thank you for serving people that can never pay you back. I I think of the people serving the children right now. The room I was in for a new members class, Elena and her, her two daughters came in. Thank you for serving them. They'll never really, you'll probably never get a thank you. You're not going to get any warm fuzzies from the kids. You get warm other things, but not warm fuzzies. (laughs) Hey, guys, guys that came out to man up, thank you for coming. Thanks thanks for for really wanting to, to lay your life down for your wife and understanding that the fall affected us all and wanting to learn so she can benefit and your children can benefit and this church can benefit. Listen, I promise you two things. Number one, I won't talk quite as long next month. And number two, we're going to work on the AC, okay? But you know what? Okay, so you sat in a stuffed room sweating with about 40 other guys. Thank you. Ladies, thank you for going on 
the retreat. And I know all, many of you wanted to go, couldn't go, but thanks. Thanks for studying and for taking the money to go and, and for serving. Thank you for doing that at work, if you're doing it at work. Thank you for doing that in the community. Thank you. Please hear God say that. We, we're demonstrating the life of Christ to a dying world. That's why we must love one another in deed and truth. What that looks like is going to be the subject of the rest of our series. A lifestyle of love is what selfless living in a selfish world looks like. And it is what will demonstrate to the church and to the world what Christ's love is all about. I, I wrote the following in my journal in June of 1983. Werner is off to Africa and I am off to Spain. Two days later, I arrived and met the most amazing couple. This is this young couple he told me about that weren't losers, David and Lenny Myers. They were about my age, 27 at the time. They were young, bright, energetic. They were not losers, as I had imagined. So they destroyed my arguments to Werner that only losers are pastors and missionaries. I'll never forget that beautiful night in Ciudad Real, uh, Spain, just south of Madrid, having a final dinner with them on their patio, I remember them leaning across the table and simply saying, why would you settle for God's second best? President of the United States. For God's first best, bringing him glory. God spoke to me. You're serving self, Pino. It's a dead-end street. Serve God. I remember on my way back to Germany, two days later, I was in the train and Got to Paris train station, get in Paris South, and I had to take a taxi over Paris East to go back to Germany. And, and I wrote the following words. It's reading from my journal. Today I say yes to God's call on my life as a full-time preacher of the gospel. When Jesus returns with his saints, I want to be found with a pure and blameless heart. In eternity, I want to trade stories with all the saints about how God used us on this earth to proclaim his kingdom. Stories are still being written. Thanks for joining me in writing them, guys. There's many more to be told. Even now, I see that the only real thing, the only real and eternal fruit, is other people's lives changed for Jesus. Lord, I will go anywhere you want me to go. Use me as you please to to extend your kingdom on this earth. I ask for the strength, the grace to overcome sin in my life. I also pray for my wife. Hadn't met Desi yet. (laughs) A woman with the same vision. Unite us when we are both ready, and I pray for the work of preparation to continue in both of us. And I put, soon. (laughs) Exclamation (laughs) point. I returned to a Bible school instead of law school at the University of Florida, and I met Desi the next year. Guys, I'm here today. Whatever fruit God gives and fruit in your life and the fruit that you'll give to, uh, bring to others in God's grace. Because of God's grace, yes. Primarily because of God, but, but humanly speaking, secondarily, secondary causes because of the selfless love of an old German missionary named Werner Knorr that's sitting in some jungle right now in Cameroon, West Africa. And a young missionary couple that aren't so young anymore named David and Lenny Myers. Friends, we all have stories of people who have helped us, who have invested in us and taken an interest in us, not for personal gain, but because of the love of God in Christ. May we be those people in others' lives. May we love one another as Christ loved us. 
Here's the appeal to you. The motive to love one another is our love for God. The power to love one another is Christ's love for us, demonstrated by dying on the cross to take God's wrath for us, give us life. And the commitment to love one another must be in deed and truth. May God's love for us in Christ transform us from those who look primarily downward and inward to self to those who look primarily upward to God and outward to serve others. That's the miraculous transformation of the gospel. May we gladly lay down our lives for one another because Christ laid his life down for us. Let us pray. Lord, I pray now, I'm, I'm, I'm standing, Lord, before you as, as, as that girl that had been caught in the speed trap. I am guilty. God, I am guilty. I am thinking of things I did, just attitudes I had in my heart as recently as last night. They were just selfish, self-serving. God, whatever good is in my life, if my life is characterized as one who lives to serve others and not self, it's because of you and your son and the work your spirit has done in my life. And I thank you for it. And I want to be more like your son. Oh, Father, I know you saved me to, to, to conform me into his image. So, Father, I pray, I pray, I'm sure, just articulating the prayers of everyone in this room and those listening perhaps later digitally, God, transform us. Father, change us into selfish creatures. <sighs> Fallen like Cain who murder one another with anger and self-righteousness, manipulation and using one another to, oh God, renewed new creations in Christ who love one another, serve one another, forgive one another because Christ has loved and served and forgiven us and laid his life down for us. Lord, change us. May we be a church that's known for laying its life down for one another, for the world, for our community, for the poor, for strangers, for people that can never, ever say thank you. We'll never benefit from it. We're not doing it to get them to come to our church. We're not doing it to, to get a job. We're not doing it to anything. But we're just doing it because you laid your life down for us. May that characterize us individually and corporately. Oh, Jesus. Thank you for laying your life down for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Friends, we're going to end by taking a few minutes to ask God to work his message from these scriptures into our hearts. What you need right now is to just stop and think about God's love for us in Christ and its ramifications for how we live. How Christ laying his life down for us means that we are called to lay our lives down for one another. How we are to live, to serve and love one another so that we can live selfless lives in a selfish world. We must think about it. It would be criminal to leave here without taking a moment to meditate. Now for some of you, That just means staying seated, bowing your head, maybe reading the passage. But for many of us, we're served by a song. It's it's, it's a song, it's called Here in Your Presence, that just highlights the truth. We're transformed in God's presence. We're undone in God's presence. We see that only what God does is eternal. So if this helps you, seek God and 
think on his love for you, then please join us in singing. If not, just remain seated. Pray, seek God. Guys, let's seek him. Let's seek him. So if you'd like, feel free to stand and let's just, let's just spend some time seeking the Lord using this song.